Welcome back to another edition of Billy West Live. Our, our old regular is back with us. Dr. Greg Granger joins us again. Greg, still sobering news out of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, the military and, and strategy of what's going on, I'd like to get you just to give your overall comments of what's happening. Uh, it's, it's a daily dose we Americans are being fed on the news right. of what's happening in Ukraine. It's very depressing. But at the same time, we need to talk about it. So give us your update. Well, thank you, Billy. It's always good to be here with you. And um, what we're looking at right now is uh, sort of a second phase, a new phase of the war, concentrated geographically. One of the big mistakes Russia made early on was simply attacking Ukraine from too many fronts without any coordination and, and centralized command. Uh, in terms of the Russian strategy, they have a new commander. A lot of people pointed out he uh, was kind of the butcher of Aleppo, as they may have called him, or... Uh, but at the same time, he doesn't have a great deal of experience leading Russian troops into a Russian war. He led foreign troops in Syria. And uh, the Russian troops right now, you know, are still, we're on day 57, and many of them are still bewildered. Uh, Russia has started to put people 55 to 60 years old into the field. Uh, they're sending generals to the front who are getting mowed down, as we know now, nearly 10 of them, I believe, close to 10, 9 or 10. Uh, so even with having a centralized commander, uh, the the uh, what makes sense for their strategy is that they are concentrating it, pretty much giving up to some degree the rest of Ukraine, but they are concentrating in the south and east, trying to build the land bridge from Crimea. But the fact is the Ukrainians are quite well armed now. They're going to be even more well armed in the next week or two, uh, even by this weekend. They're still very tenacious. They're still hanging on. They still refuse uh, any sort of white flag. And so uh, the next two to three weeks is going to be a real pitched battle, a real tank-to-tank, armor-to-armor, even house-to-house to to some degree uh, in certain towns and villages throughout the south and east. And um, there are some things in favor of the Ukrainians. Uh, First of all, again, they've got the attitude um, that many of the Russian soldiers lack. Secondly, they've got equipment. Um, It is estimated now that Ukraine has as many or more tanks in play than than do the Russians. Um, Where we've created a whole new drone in the last 57 days. The United States Air Force came up with what they're calling the Phoenix Ghost Drone, which can take out artillery. It's one of these drones that you send in one way and they don't come back. They're kind of what we call kamikaze drones, but they can take out armor. Uh, Not necessarily the bigger tanks, but they can take out uh, personnel carriers and and various infantry fighting vehicles. Uh, I saw some video earlier today of of Ukrainian attacks on the convoys. This is part of the weakness, again, with the the Russians, right? is, is that they need a supply chain. They need a convoy. And that's just open territory. That's, uh, that's kind of easy to hit. Um, so, you know, I don't think anybody's actually pulling for Russia, but if you are, uh, there's a little bit of good news, you know, in terms of they're changing their tactics. But if you're pulling for the Ukrainians there, uh, like most of the world is, there is uh, also some good news in the sense that we've got really powerful stuff on the way to them. Uh, our NATO allies have sent in tanks and, and spare parts and everything and training that they need. So now it's kind of what are the next two to three weeks going to be like? It's really going to be an interesting next couple of weeks with this May 9 artificial deadline exactly. that the Russians uh, have talked about now for 57 days of being that their D-Day or Memorial Day or Veterans Day, whatever it is in Russia, Freedom Day, whatever they call yeah, it, Communist yeah. Day. Yeah. But the, the, um, the fact that that deadline is looming, Greg, 
What do you see in the next couple of weeks? Is that a hard deadline that the Russians want to get too quick? Will they pull back? Will they claim victory and leave? I mean, what what is – we talked about it before it started. What's his exit plan going right. to be? Well, what is it now? That's going to be even more difficult to figure out, uh, ironically, yeah. in a sense. And, uh, you know, we, we can figure out options that he has, but that doesn't mean he's going to take the, the most rational or the one that perhaps uh, we would take. And, uh, you know, the options are just continuing – uh, doubling down, especially with the air power. Again, this is where they have the advantage. Um, they've got even just dumb bombs that are cheap. They can do damage. They're, they're hitting all civilian. There, there are some towns that have zero military installations that they're just wiping off the earth. Uh, and so I hope the momentum on the war crimes angle continues uh, because it looks like it, it is. There are both uh, governmental and non-governmental agencies gathering evidence on that. But uh, I think in about two to three weeks, right around the May 9th date, first of all, Putin is pragmatic enough to say he can just extend the date. He can just keep on sure. going. However, I think he's going to be, if he gets accurate information, we are assuming he's getting accurate information, whether he accepts it or not, I think he's going to get the information that um, this particular part of the battle may also have been lost by Russia, or at least down to a, a stalemate. Um, that as long as the weapons can keep flowing into Ukraine, uh, I think they could hold them off. It's very possible. You know, when you mentioned war crimes, uh, something that as a lawyer, it was interesting to me in reading the last few weeks about the investigational, Mm -hmm. uh, international prosecutors, those kind of things that are in country. But the fact that the Nuremberg trials set this precedent that soldiers on the front line can't use the fact that they were ordered to do something as a defense to their own war crime. That, to me, is very interesting and yeah. could sway things in the future, but it hasn't yet. No. Uh, well, not yet, but uh, the fact is we know who these people are or we're able to gather the information. Many of them put themselves on social media. Uh, it's, you know, it's almost like the January 6th people putting themselves on social media and yeah. saying, here I am. Right. And uh, they went and got them. Well, uh, obviously a different level of, of activity, but, but what I'm saying is uh, we know how to gather evidence against certain brigades, against certain divisions. We can identify the people in charge and even ordinary soldiers. And you're right, the Nuremberg principle is that uh, if you were just following orders, that's not good enough to prevent you from prosecution, though it may help you in sentencing. Right. Uh, but the fact is, people are looking to hold uh, really all aspects of the Russian state accountable for this. Greg, we talked before the invasion happened. We, we knew something was impending, looming, whatever word you want to use. But we talked about the fact that this would be the first war, because Vietnam wasn't fought this way, even Iraq, but where everyday people have the war in their hands, mm-hmm. on the internet, on their iPhone. They're watching it in real time. How has that affected, you think, policymakers, and how will that affect policy in the future? Well, I, I think, you know, for example, in-country in Ukraine itself, it's sort of a um, uh, uh, a two-way street. On the one hand, I think things like that really help to bolster uh, Zelensky and his people. And at the same time, his people get, uh, the, the people on the ground get to hear from their president on these his daily walks and talks. And I think that really helps to solidify the morale of the people. Uh, at the same time, it also can help strategically because these videos uh, and, and psychologically, uh, these videos uh, are, are being shown on social media, and some Russians are getting to see these, and uh, that could certainly have an effect on any support for Putin, which seems, you know, probably going to be raveling away over the next few weeks. So uh, the technology into this is going to be studied really intensely for a long time, um, but the role of Telegram, the role of TikTok, the role of Twitter, 
uh, is, is is really is fascinating on this, and I and I think I, I think it's kind of peripheral in terms of actual policy and what to do and what not to do, but more data is always better than less data, and so uh, whatever we could gather, whatever we can use from the people on the ground, could be useful tactically now and politically and criminally a little bit later on. Again, Dr. Greg Granger, uh, Northwestern State University political science teacher, professor, and certainly a guru with respect to international studies in these particular areas of the country. That's where that's what you've studied for years and also nuclear proliferation right. and agreements. But I, I did want to ask you, Greg, because you're plugged in with a, a lot of different agencies. How much information, how much intelligence is the United States, the CIA, uh, and other countries providing to Ukraine? Uh, that's that's kind of hard to figure out on a day-to-day basis, but uh, what we're doing is using it as a political weapon against Russia. In a sense, we're signaling to Russia, we know A, B, C, and D, and therefore we can share today A and B with Zelensky, but tomorrow maybe the other two or whatever it is. Uh, so a lot of this is all about signaling and about, again, the kind of psychological warfare of showing them we know what they're up to. And so... Are we holding anything back? Um, I don't think we would hold anything back that's of uh, that would really make a difference in the direction of the war. Uh, I think it'd be it's it's more part of the war effort and and trying to shore up the morale and the abilities of the Ukrainians to defend themselves. So I think that's really what we're doing there. You monitor um, back channel communications, and you and I always nothing talk. illegal. <laughs> no, 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 not that. But I'm just saying. But yeah. there seems to always be back and- channels with countries. You know, they talk off air, whatever you want to call it, uh, off of secure lines. But that's an important thing to solve disputes internationally as well. What are you hearing? What Are th- there back, ten- back channel discussions going on? Well, uh, right now, uh, it's hard to say, uh, not necessarily with the Ukrainians, except in terms of training, all the things that we know about, uh, of supporting them and, and training them. I think, um, you know, any intelligence gathering we can get against the Russians will help. And uh, our ties with the Russians are pretty much over here. And so what this is is a, is a NATO building exercise and all of the countries learning to operate together again, something we haven't really had to do in a long time, and therefore sharing intelligence, sharing methods and, and, and means. And I think that's where it's going to make a difference over the long run in that it's going to solidify NATO with its two new members coming up, probably Sweden and Finland, also contributing to this. Um, the other side of it, though, you know, another part of what we might call back channel or two-track diplomacy is the role of the non-governmental people, the Google, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what they're doing. I mentioned Google has now revealed all Russian military installations. You can see them clear as day, whereas they had them fogged out before as, as their policy. Um, all the other companies and the uh, the sports leagues that are putting pressure on the Russian people and, and the Russian government, all of this adds up together. All of this is part of diplomacy, is all part of putting pressure and therefore having leverage whenever it's time to negotiate. Um, but right now, i got to say, the, the whole notion of you know Ukraine, I guess, they have to show up to these negotiations that have been held, but they really have gone nowhere, uh, as far as I can tell. So none of that. Right now, it's all about war. It's it's really about war. And it seems that for the next few weeks, for sure, that's where we're heading. Unfortunately, a lot of people are going to die. But the other thing we talked about before the invasion was, again, what's Putin's strategy? What's his exit strategy? 
Has this backfired on him in a lot of ways? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, internationally. Now, you know, he still has the support because they don't have a whole lot of choice of many African countries and other uh, what we used to call third world countries. But the fact is their support really doesn't make much difference. They might still buy some oil and stuff like that, but it's it's not that much. Um, it has backfired on them in the sense that even China questions its relationship. I mean, in public, they're all good friends, but I think privately China is being very cautious in how he cooperates with Russia. But of course, um, the dream is over. You know, many Europeans, many Germans are saying we were asleep, we were in a dreamland, we thought that we could cooperate with Russia, we thought we had a partner. And no matter how many times Americans and others tried to tell them otherwise, they just continued along that line. That is over. Uh, Germany is adding $100 billion to its defense account. And, uh, you know, Finland and, and Sweden are, are, are already ponying up to the war effort without even being in NATO. And so, yeah, this is, uh, he wanted a weaker NATO. He wanted a weaker European Union. He got stronger organizations that oppose him. Uh, he thought he would win. He thought he had, his, obviously, his commanders on his side. Technically, they are. But more and more reporting is saying it is fraying, it is coming apart, and the, between the, uh, the oligarchs losing their money, between the military losing their lives, it's uh, more and more both domestic and international pressure. This has definitely backfired on Putin. Well, and I'll give you, uh, maybe in two more weeks, it might be better to ask you this opinion. What, what is your prediction? Where, how does this end? Well, like you said, a lot of people are going to die. There's going to be more civilian damage. There's going to be damage to infrastructure. I think the Ukrainians have a really good shot at pushing um, uh, the, the Russians, not necessarily completely out of their country, but back into a corner. They do have a chance even at preventing uh, the, the land mass that they want. They say they're going to build up, uh, b uh, blow up the Kerch Bridge uh, out of Crimea. If they blow up that bridge, and then Russia is very much hurt by that. And they've avoided doing so. So what I see in the next two to three weeks is a stalemate, very hard fighting, uh, and possibly some victory on the point of the Ukrainians. I have some optimism on that point. That's very interesting to get your thoughts on that. Dr. Greg Granger is our guest. Greg, to switch gears a little bit, talk about just international politics. Very important election coming up in France. Mm -hmm. um, lots of things in the news recently about that. Your, your comments about the Macron-Le Pen race. And how does that affect yeah. United States politics? So, uh, well, I mean, it affects us as a key, you know, NATO ally and a, a major player on the world and a trading uh, partner. And Le Pen has more of an isolationist view, more of a nationalist view. Um, she has these ties to, to Putin, um, to, to Russians. Uh, she's, they're not unlike uh, Orban over in Hungary, kind of the authoritative mindset. Uh, and she was very popular and still is quite popular and did quite well. But it looks like Macron is starting to pull away because as people tie her, as he ties her closer and closer to Putin, and these atrocities in Ukraine continue to be put on the news, I think, um, I think that works in the favor of Macron. Now, that obviously is what the United States, and I think almost anyone who would be president of the United States would, would, would support with Macron. With one exception. Likely with one exception. And we don't even know that for sure because you might see the handwriting on the wall too. But right. um, but the fact is, it looks like the, the, the kind of authoritarian populism that we saw rise rapidly in the last 10 years may be taking a hit uh, because we see where it can lead to the type of um, uh, policies that Putin is, in, is, is enacting. And so politically, um, 
uh, you know, the United States has an election coming up. People are far more focused on the price of gas, the price of groceries. Uh, but if people could make the connections right. that this is a global problem, um, inflation is worse all around the world than it is here. Uh, to be to be perfectly honest, and I know that doesn't help much on a day to day basis, but this is a global problem created by global issues like Ukraine, um, like some of the behavior of some of the Middle East countries, and so we're just going to have to manage our way through, and eventually things will get back a little bit more to normal. That was going to be my last question to you. You know, Americans, you know, we've all been inundated with news in the Ukraine Russia conflict. But Americans seem to be souring on it a little bit. You know, don't want to watch the news. It's too depressing. It you just is. don't want to see these dead kids and dead elderly people and these people bawling and crying and just their lives have been shattered. But America's focus has turned back domestically somewhat in the, maybe the last week or 10 days. How do you see that affecting mm-hmm. our politics in the United States as we move toward the midterms? Well, I think it's, it's probably predictable in a sense. I mean, uh, we don't. You know, fortunately, we don't have troops on the ground. We don't have American bombers in the fight, at least at this point. And so it's not affecting American lives and families directly at the moment, or they're not making the connections. It actually is affecting us financially. But, um, you know, I think it's very uh, typical, especially of the last several years, that the United States uh, has been looking inward for some time now. And, uh, you know, this is a topic I have in the classroom all the time, is what is and what should be America's role in the world. And I think we're still very much in that debate. But with a great power like Russia able to act with such impunity or, you know, to think they can act with impunity uh, in a place like Ukraine and suddenly finding resistance, um, you know, I think that bodes well. I, I think the support for the Ukrainians is still within the American psyche. It's just we got day-to-day things to mess with, you know, we, we got life. Right. Yeah. Greg, I've never taken a class uh, under you or in person, but I've been a student of yours <laughs> since 9-11. And you are so filled with information and also gracious with your time to help educate oh, us all right. on these. Thank you so much uh, for joining Thank us you, on Billy Wesley. We'll, well, it's just so educational. Pick it up in a couple of weeks, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll get you back and we'll talk about some of these things. And, and uh, it's just always great to have you on Billy West Live to get Dr. Greg Granger uh, to give us his update. Uh, that's Dr. Greg Granger from Northwestern State University on Billy West Live. Bye.